We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time. for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined this evening by Brian Hugh. Thanks for having me. And from Taijong by Donovan Smith. Mm, great to be here. And we'll begin on Monday of this week. This week, when Honhai and Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing both announced that they will each be donating 5 million doses of the Pfizer-BioNTech coronavirus vaccine to the government. The two companies announced a donation in two separate postings on the Taiwan Stock Exchange. And the donations were made after the Shanghai Fortune Pharmaceutical Group, the distributor of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine in China, Hong Kong, Macau and Taiwan, announced that a deal had been signed with the two companies. The two tech firms were authorised by the government in late June to purchase up to 10 million doses of the vaccine. And the government had previously refused to buy the vaccine from the Shanghai-based distributor, citing worries that the doses were made in China. That decision, however, has been criticised, with critics of the government arguing that it delayed Taiwan's acquisition of vaccines and left it unprepared for the recent domestic outbreak. The government has accused China's government of interfering when it tried to buy the vaccines directly from the manufacturer in Germany, a charge that Beijing has denied, uh, as have some pundits here in Taiwan. Now, Honhai founder Terry Guo says that authorities in Beijing didn't interfere with the vaccine procurement process and that the vaccine doses will come directly from BioNTech's factory in Germany. Now, it's being reported that the first shipment of the Pfizer-BioNTech coronavirus vaccines purchased by Honhai and Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing could arrive in Taiwan by September at the earliest. So, Brian, obviously, good news. That's right. So this adds to the existing stock of vaccines that Taiwan has. And it's quite interesting then that you have uh, private industry now stepping in, claiming that they can be more effective than the government. However, uh, particularly because of the fact that Foxconn tried to get in on the vaccine purchases and accused the central government of uh, more or less just being unable to do that and saying that it could, itself could do better, uh, it was interesting that TSMC then jumped in. And so there's a lot of speculation, for example, whether TSMC was asked to do so by the government. Uh, TMC is seen as closer to the government. Uh, Morris Chang of TSMC, head of TSMC, has been sent to APEC as Taiwan's representative under this administration several times. And so there's speculation then that TSMC perhaps entering this was a way to make government look not so bad in the sense that it was not just uh, Honghai, also known as Foxconn, which is a much more uh, pan-blue company. Terry Goh, having tried to become the presidential candidate of the KMT during the last set of elections, uh, this would be a way to seem so that not, not that only, let's say, quote-unquote, pan-blue companies are getting in onto vaccine purchases. And so there are further groups that do hope it's the first vaccines. Uh, it seems like after this, this uh, kind of deal was announced with TSMC and Foxconn, it seems like everyone and their brothers trying to get on the vaccine purchases. Uh, but I think the government has allowed for this to happen because of the fact that it just could not deal with uh, all these criticisms of it first, so vaccine purchases it had to find some way of dealing with the accusation that it was trying to, to stymie uh, private industry or non-government groups purchasing vaccines. Uh, but at the same time, then, it's in a different bind in that if too many groups had to do this now, this could potentially affect the ability of the government to make vaccine deals in the future. Uh, generally, it is the case that vaccine manufacturers only sell to governments, and so it's already somewhat extraordinary for companies now to be purchasing vaccine representative government. And of course, Donovan, regardless of Taiwan Semiconductor being asked by the government to buy the vaccines, um, Honhai and Taiwan Semiconductor together have doubled up what Honhai would have bought on its own. Yes, they have. Uh, and it looks like, uh, from statements from the government, it looks like the the Tsuchi Buddhist charity, looks like they're approved, they're going to get approval as well. So they're expecting about 15 million doses now uh, coming from BioNTech, but it looks like they're going to close it off. Uh, 
they're going to close it off at that point. Right. And, of course, this is the BioNTech-Pfizer vaccine, Donovan. So, of course, there was some controversy with China over this, of course. Well, yes. Uh, essentially, the um, Pfizer-BioNTech uh, had, had, had contracted with the Fosun uh, Pharmaceutical Group in Shanghai to handle what they call Greater China. Now, of course, Taiwan is not part of Greater China, but uh, so the negotiations with the, the when the government here tries to negotiate directly to get it, the, the story is a little bit conflicting on what exactly happened next. Um, essentially, what what the what Chen Shizhong, the health minister, and what uh, President Tsai said is a little bit contradictory. But essentially, uh, uh, Chen Shizhong, the health minister, said that they had they were they went they were well advanced in negotiations, and then uh, then uh, Fosun in Shanghai said, "Well, you can't refer to Taiwan as a country; you have to change it to Taiwan." They changed the wording to Taiwan, and then they disappeared. They just simply stopped negotiating. Now, according to Chen Shizhong at the time, he said that there there were that bio, the Pfizer BioNTech had other he had other commitments, and that's why they didn't continue. However, President Tsai followed up on that, saying that very specifically that uh, that China had specifically interfered and had cut off negotiations with Taiwan. So the story is a little bit uh, a little bit confusing depending on who you listen to. But uh, now private companies and charities are stepping up to fill that void, which of course none of which can be referred to as a company. And of course the Global Times, the Chinese mouthpiece has now been crowing about how oh the uh, the uh, China's Taiwan is now going to be uh, supplied with Pfizer-BioNTech. Of course, Brian, Terry Gore came out and said, well, China didn't interfere with his purchase. That's right. So Terry Gore actually thanked uh, China for not interfering in the purchase, which is a somewhat unusual thing to do, thanking uh, uh, China for not actually preventing the purchase from happening. And so, yeah, there has been contestation regarding uh, the vaccine in the sense that BioNTech's greater China distributor is Fosun, and so Pfizer distributes vaccine in other parts of the world, uh, whereas then Fosun has the right to do that in the greater China region, which includes Taiwan. And so the, the issue is, uh, Chen Shizhong has stated a few times that, for example, that Taiwan will respect Fosun's rights. But there's concerns about the fact that uh, are vaccines manufactured in China or shipped from China safe? Um, the fact is that Fosun also manufactures vaccines. It manufactures Sinopharm vaccines. And there's concern about, for example, Sinopharm vaccines being potentially passed off as BioNTech vaccines. Uh, this was particularly the case when non-government groups such as the Sun Yat-sen School, for example, claimed that they would be obtaining BioNTech vaccines along with Sinopharm vaccines from China and that this would be shipped to Taiwan through donors. Um, and so that, that raised these kind of concerns. Uh, Taiwan's representative to Germany, Siet Jiwei, has also said that uh, there was part way through the negotiations with with BioNTech. The person they were dealing with responded. Uh, so the, the corresponding was suddenly changed, and the person they talked to seemed to have simplified Chinese in some of the emails, and so that raised concerns about possible interference. Um, it's also the, the statement from Taiwanese government officials that the German government was also involved in the sense that Germany did want to, not want to have uh, to come off as as though it was not flying to Taiwan because of caving into Chinese pressure, and so. So the thing that's very hard to clear up because just vaccine negotiations are very secretive, conducted by these large companies with the government, 
and it's not very clear uh, publicly. It's not very transparent, actually, just, just what is going on there. And on Thursday of this week, Taiwan took delivery of 1.88 million more doses of coronavirus vaccine. The latest delivery includes 970,000 doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine donated by Japan, 560,000 doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine purchased directly from the manufacturer, and 350,000 doses of the Moderna vaccine also purchased from the manufacturer. Now, the shipments bring the total amount now received by Taiwan to around 8.9 million doses, and the total incorporates 3.65 million doses of the Moderna vaccine and 5.25 million doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine. Now, the AstraZeneca vaccine from Japan is the third such donation from Tokyo since early June. And the government has signed contracts to purchase about 20 million vaccine doses from abroad, including 5.05 million doses of Moderna, 10 million doses of AstraZeneca, and 4.76 million doses of unspecified brands through the COVAX program. So, Donovan, yet more vaccines are arriving now, which means that Taiwan now has taken delivery of 8.9 million doses. Yes, um, and of course that's that's positive news. But to get two jabs, uh, we're going to need about uh, heading on fifty million. If we've got twenty-three point some odd million people here, so you know, I mean, the you know that the numbers are increasing is is fantastic. But we've got a, a long way to go. But obviously, I think one thing that's really quite notable here is that the U.S. and Japan have both stepped up. Now, Taiwan, when you look at it from a purely humanitarian point of view, there are countries around the world like Peru, Brazil, uh, that are being hit extremely badly. The percentage of the population that is being that that is that is contracting the, the coronavirus and is dying from from it they they are in dire need um taiwan's caseload is is really quite low but on the other hand taiwan as as you know as we've seen with the bioNTech china has interfered um taiwan has not been high on the list apparently of companies or covax that uh decide to supply vaccines to the country. So Taiwan has been kind of low on the list of getting vaccines. Now, that being said, it hasn't been too low. I mean, Taiwan's comparable to Australia's uh, rates, for example. So it's not specifically outside of the BioNTech uh, kind of Fosun Shanghai disaster. Taiwan hasn't been targeted by most companies or COVAX. For, for a slow rollout outside of the fact that Taiwan's been handling it, it, it the vaccine well. Sorry, the, um, the coronavirus well. But what's interesting is that both Japan and the United States decided to come in with large donations. And it's pretty clear, I think, that considering the caseload here, the vaccine needs here versus other countries, that both countries did so for political reasons and to sh- specifically to show support for Taiwan. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, part of it, I think, is diplomatic signaling in the sense that the U.S. and Japan want to show the strength of ties with Taiwan, uh, not to come off as abandoning Taiwan, for example, in its moment of need. Because if this were to happen, if, for example, the U.S. or Japan were not to provide vaccines and China is offering its own domestically manufactured vaccines or to send BioNTech vaccines through Fosun or something like that, this could allow for the space for Chinese influence in Taiwan to grow. And I think it also speaks to Taiwan's importance to global semiconductor manufacturing, for example, just because of the fact that if you do have clusters at TSMC, and there have been cases among workers, uh, that could, for example, just lead to a slowdown in, in manufacturing. 
exist to Taiwan is that the world is so reliant on Taiwanese ships at present. Um, to that extent, though, I think it's also quite interesting that uh, for countries that cannot provide large amounts of vaccines, uh, such as, for example, Lithuania and Slovakia, actually, as of this morning, uh, have also announced donations of vaccines to Taiwan. I think that uh, this is not these are these are small amounts of vaccines. It's not uh, too large, for example. Um, but it's a way of signaling, for example, where you stand in terms of the so, uh, so-called, let's say, new Cold War, in terms of a very powerful conflict between the U.S. and China. By donating vaccines to Taiwan, it's a way to show that you're more aligned with the U.S. and not with China, for example. And so this is a quite interesting development. But absolutely, it's the case that the, the COVID-19 pandemic is much more severe in other parts of the world. And so it's interesting then that Taiwan is receiving so much vaccine. Uh, actually, just when the U.S. started announcing its vaccine donations to Taiwan, this constitutes such a large amount of the vaccines then announced as being donated to Asia actually raised a concern then about whether there will be vaccines going to these much more severely affected places such as India and elsewhere. And staying with I, that- I can add one oh. small detail to, 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 to what Brian just added there. Um, also, Taiwan uh, previously added a, or sent a lot of PPE to a lot of countries early on in the, in the pandemic crisis. Uh, and I think that some of that is, is, is and I think, Brian, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with Brian, I think Brian's absolutely right here about there's a lot of signaling going on about where you stand on, on geopolitics. Uh, but Taiwan's donation of PPE early on in the pandemic uh, has, I think, helped in some, in some instances with support coming back to Taiwan uh, in the form of vaccines. And staying with Vaccine News, KMT Chairman Johnny Jung on Wednesday announced that his party is seeking to join with counties governed by the KMT to have licensed drug companies, which are obviously in those counties, apply to purchase 5 million doses of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. Now, Jung says the KMT will apply for the purchase with Nanto, Yunlin, Hualien and Taidong. And he said he hoped the government could complete procedures to allow them to negotiate their own purchases of the vaccines. Needless to say, the statement quickly drew a political response with the DPP criticising Jung for the proposal, saying that cities and counties governed by the KMT have lagged behind others in vaccinating their residents and they accused the KMT of seeking to discourage members of the public from getting shots in the first place. Jung shot back, criticising the government's vaccine acquisition programme and rollout progress, arguing that it's better to have a surplus of vaccines than being unable to inoculate the entire population. Now, Cabinet spokesman Law Bing Jung this week told reporters that the government will approve no further plans to purchase additional doses of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine on a case-by-case basis. So, Brian, Johnny Jung's Nanto, Yunlin, Hualien, city governments and county governments purchasing vaccines, and the government's central government, is that's a bit of a no-no. Yeah, that's right. This continues the tension then regarding vaccine purchase, in that, for example, following uh, Foxconn saying that it's purchased vaccines, now you have these KMT local governments doing so. That's a little more complicated because, again, vaccine manufacturers are mostly helping to, hoping to deal with national governments. It's uh, to be seen how they respond to local governments. Uh, having too many local governments clamoring for vaccines could also create some confusion. Uh, but I think the KMT's narrative is to depict the Thai administration as particularly inept in terms of vaccine acquisition, almost that anyone, if they just had done it themselves, they could get vaccines faster. And so that is also the case here. Um, I think the government will be somewhat cagey on the issue, though, because, again, of this concern about for example, trying to buy from Fosun or Chinese vaccines, which are prohibited from entering Taiwan, entering through county governments. Uh, there was a very bizarre story in the news earlier where the Taidong County magistrate claimed that uh, she had obtained 200,000 vaccines and then said, well, don't ask me where they're from. And this is actually very liberal. She actually did say, don't ask me where they're from. And so that would suggest these might be Chinese vaccines that she would be hoping to try to get into Taiwan and 
not reveal that they are Chinese vaccines. So that raises these kind of concerns. Um, I think also Fosun could, uh, and BioNTech particularly could also still uh, be contested political territory, particularly if the KMT tries to leverage on relations with China to obtain vaccines through BioNTech and Fosun. But it is politicized territory because just no matter what, I think as we see with the uh, general tendency in the, the outbreak so far, cases are going down. And so when these vaccines arrive, if they are negotiated, this will be after the uh, current outbreak has, has ended. I mean, this is true with the TSMC Foxconn vaccines as well. Um, so if, if local governments were successful, this would actually be later than September, for example. And Donovan, of course, local governments. Then there raises the question about who would be receiving the vaccines if they're given to local governments. Um, well, the thing is, is that the, the government has already required that all all orders from Taiwan from any private entity outside of the government has to donate the the vaccines to the central government. So it would have to go back to the central government regardless. Plus, the government has said that that any more they will not take any more uh, BioNTech. They they basically implied that they're going to approve the the Tsuchi a Buddhist uh, application because they said they, you know, we're probably going to get 15, uh, you know, uh, 15 million uh, for BioNTech, and they said that would be enough. Now, th- there's a few permutations to, to this whole story here. Um, one is that if these local governments came through and ordered another say, 5 million, like the other three groups have, TSMC, Hanhai, and Tzu Chi, uh, assuming the Tzu Chi one is approved, which it does look like it will be, is that that would bring up the total uh, from private groups, not from the central government, uh, that would be purchasing these vaccines. That would put them roughly equal to the central government. That would, of course, make the central government look bad. So I suspect that's why they're cutting it off at the 15 million at the Suchi level. They're just going to cut that off. Now, as far as the local governments, there's a few few permutations on this that I think are really quite interesting. First, uh, actually, Nanto County Commissioner Lim Min-chan, he when he actually initiated early on, far earlier than Johnny Jung, the uh, Jung Chi-chan, the uh, KMT chair, and others, he was he talked about getting vaccines directly very early on. He was, he was very proactive and pushed forward on this very early. I, then uh, Johnny Chang, the KMT chair, got on board and brought in some other ones. But what's, no, what's really quite noticeable is not who is in this little coalition, but who is not. If you take a look at the different counties here, you've got four basically quite small counties in terms of population. Um, and Taidong yesterday came out and announced that, oh, well, we're actually fine for vaccines and we're temporarily not going to actually join in on this. So they're down to three, really, and one tentatively maybe will join in later. So, but the big question is, why didn't Ho Yui in New Taipei? Why didn't Lu Xiuyan in Taichung? The big heavyweight populations, big heavyweight politicians in the KMT, why didn't they jump on board on this? Why is it Nanto, Yunlin, <coughs> Taidong, and Hualien? You know, it, why, why, why hasn't Johnny Jiang gotten any of the big major players in on this 
and why did Tai Dong opt out right at the last minute here? Um, so it, this looks, frankly, from what the central government has already, already basically flat out come out and said, no more BioNTech. It's hopeless. Tai Dong's pulling out. Taichung and New Taipei, the KMT's big local government prizes, have pulled out. And then the DPP came out with some numbers which were apparently incorrect, according to uh, CNA, uh, about the numbers that that was saying that Nanto and Taidong Hualien had actually the largest number of unused vaccines already. And the numbers that they gave were much higher than was released by the government. So the DPP was massaging the numbers, but it did actually come out that the central government numbers, although much lower than what the DPP was implying, are still pretty high. So Nanto, for example, apparently leads the pack, the pack, uh, sorry, the pack, in numbers of apparently about 40% of the vaccines they've received remain unused, which is really quite high considering that the percentage of unused vaccines nationally as of yesterday was less than 1%. And of course, Brian, maybe possibly the Taichung city government and the new Taipei city government, uh, even though they're run by the KMT, maybe the heads of those governments realise that this Johnny Jung's plan was going nowhere fast. It's possible. Um, it's actually, I think, particularly interesting to look at Hoyu in terms of that, because Hoyu is sort of trying to balance between the pan blue and the pan green camp. Uh, in the sense that, for example, he has not been as strident with some of his criticisms of the central government the way that other members of the KMT have. Uh, before the, the outbreak started, actually, he was getting closer in some ways to the DPP. He was making public appearances with Tsai Ing-wen, which is quite extraordinary for, for a KMT politician. Um, his, he was, historically, he was also someone that the DPP had actually tried to recruit to DPP, but he ended up joining the KMT. Um, and so in this sense, I think uh, local uh, governments from uh, central and southern Taiwan might be more likely to get into this. I think Hoyoi is unlikely to do so. Uh, do so, yeah, and that's kind of a, more of a question to me in the sense that, you know, why didn't she get in, into this, actually? Um, but then these kind of not really cities, uh, for example, Hualien, Nanto, uh, Taidong, Ringling, uh, for them to kind of align around this issue is, is interesting. I think just uh, why has that happened whereas the larger cities have not. Um, but in that sense, yeah, I think this might not necessarily go anywhere in that sense. Um, the government has stressed, for example, that Taiwan should have adequate vaccines. If one looks at their numbers, they have uh, 46 million vaccines lined up, and that should be enough to cover all of Taiwan. But I think uh, the, the narrative from the KMT will be more along the lines that, well, the vaccines that the Taiwan machine ordered are dangerous, such as AstraZeneca, and so we should be getting other vaccines. Uh, trying to play up the effectiveness of and safety of biotech vaccines while attacking the safety of other vaccines, including AstraZeneca, including claiming Moderna perhaps causes maxidicism, uh, things like that, or attacking domestic vaccines, which the Taiwan Institution still hopes to purchase 10 million of. That's still part of the mix of vaccines that, that Taiwan is hoping to get. And we have to take a short break now, but we shall return after these rather important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week and the Central Epidemic Command Centre opened up the central government's coronavirus vaccine appointment system to all Taiwanese nationals and residents born in or before 2003 this week. Now, prior to that statement, the system had only been available to people over the age of 18 who suffer from rare illnesses or injuries and people aged 50 or older. Now, data shows that 6,644,714 people registered for the latest round of vaccinations after the government expanded the system and on Wednesday 
Wednesday, the Central Epidemic Command Centre said that the number of coronavirus vaccinations administered in a single day hit a record on Tuesday of this week, with health authorities administering 242,353 doses. Health Minister Chen Shih-jong said that the uptick in daily administering of coronavirus inoculations comes as local governments are now being more experienced in planning and arranging for large-scale vaccinations. So, Brian, of course, we've got these... The system has now been opened up to people over the age of 18. Anyone can do it now. But this it's like an appointment system at the moment. If you're like 40, 33, 18, it's more of an appointment system. Do you think... I mean, why are they opening it up now? Do you think this is a make-people-feel-good moment for the government? Yeah, I think so, definitely, because the government does have to seem like it's moving and uh, making progress on vaccinating the public at large. Uh, right now, vaccinations still focus on Category 9 and 10, people that have underlying conditions from 18 to 64, or people that are, are between 50 and 64, Category 10. Um, and But I think the, the, the general public at large, which is under 50, will want to get vaccinated, and so they want to see some motion in that direction. Um, at the same time, though, I do think that it is helpful in terms of opening up the vaccine registration system, because eventually you do want to have the capacity to have the public at large register. And so if there are any issues with the system, now is a good time to try it with the public, even because right now, if they're not being vaccinated, you can fix these issues before when they are actually eligible, when there's enough supply to do so. Similarly, there's the ability to gather data on the public will to get vaccinated using different vaccines through the system by having people select whether they only want AstraZeneca, are willing to take AstraZeneca or Moderna or just Moderna. And when you have more choices available, we can figure out data on, on that as well. Uh, for example, then, we do know then that the people that are only willing to get vaccinated with AstraZeneca is quite low. But it does seem promising, for example, that 57% of individuals with, between 18 and 49 are, are willing to be vaccinated with AstraZeneca now. Um, and so it's to be seen, though, I think, whether uh, these high rates of vaccination will continue, because right now there's a lot of Moderna vaccinations going on. And it's stated in the next three to four weeks, there will only be AstraZeneca vaccines due to shortage supply and the need to reserve vaccines for people that are taking their second doses. And so this might lead to a follow-up. I think this is a question going forward. Yeah, I mean, uh, prior to Audrey Tong coming out with this new national system, the local there was local governments uh, had systems in place. For example, in here in Taichung and in Zhanghua and others around the country. And what happened was, is as soon as they opened up the vaccine re- registration even for older populations and relatively small numbers of people, the systems promptly uh, crashed. They... um so there was a lot of problems early on prior to this national system where the, the, there was a complete meltdown collapse of local registration and, uh, systems for the vaccines. So what, you'll notice that what, what happened is they first, with this, nas- this new national registration system, they tested it out on the offshore islands. Now, obviously, Audrey Tong is brilliant uh, and planned this very well. And once it was brought over into Taiwan, it was opened up for uh, people, uh, you know, in level nine, level ten, uh, to to register. And once the system appeared to move fairly smoothly, then they opened it up to the general public. And as, as Brian noted, this is a good thing to start to do this now. Get people registered and get the system working now that it's not going to collapse and so that they can handle this more smoothly and over a longer period of time. If they waited till later, you might have had too many people rushing in because most people now know that even though you can register to get your vaccine, 
but you don't qualify right now. So it's not going to be, so, so there isn't a massive rush which would overwhelm the system. So I, I think this is actually quite a clever move on the part of the government to, from a purely logistic, logistical and technical point of view, to get a lot of people into the system registered and then and while the system can handle it and in numbers that it can handle, while, rather than waiting until you get to the point where, oh, Oh, today my group qualifies and everybody from that group immediately registers and then crashes the system. So I think that from a purely logistical and technical point of view, I think this is a good move. And Brian, what about the health minister's comment about how the uptick in daily administering of coronavirus inoculations is taking place because local governments are now becoming more experienced in planning and arranging for large scale vaccination events? I think it's partially true, but I think also to that extent, um, as the outbreak goes on, people will eventually become more open to the idea of being vaccinated. I mean, people were hoping maybe, oh, well, I'm fearful of AstraZeneca, maybe I'll wait for another vaccine to come in. Uh, but then once these delays, and for example, with the BioNTech purchase, we see that this would mean waiting until September. And so I think uh, a lot of these fears that occur early on in the outbreak somewhat are somewhat lessened. I think partly because of just pragmatics of wanting to get vaccinated and not having to worry about this. But also just, I think, as the, the time goes on and the media uh, continues to report about these uh, deaths after vaccination or mechanisms after vaccination, it just seems a little more ridiculous as time goes on. Um, I think uh, the government has, I don't think it's actually done a, the greatest job in terms of flying the public on the safety of vaccines. I think just in terms of uh, looking at the experience of other countries, it should have known that there were uh, fears about AstraZeneca that would have come up. And that this definitely, I mean, this did, did occur as occurred in other countries regarding uh, Taiwan and fears of AstraZeneca. Um, but in that, in, that, uh, in that way, I think that um, this, the, uh, this, hopefully it's a, a trend that will continue because just if one looks at the population in Taiwan, just it could take half a year or more to vaccinate if the rate of vaccination is still low. And so it's not just having vaccines means that, uh, which is already an issue, that the public will get vaccinated quickly. There's also just the logistics of distributing them. And Donovan, Brian raised a point there about the government. Do you think the government's been good in allaying concerns about safety of the vaccinations? Um, I think both government and civil society. It's in Taiwan they kind of work in tandem. There, there's a lot of groups out there that are dedicated to uh, battling disinformation, particularly that's coming out of China. But a lot of the disinformation actually on the vaccines uh, right now is coming out of the West. For example, that apparently if you take the vaccines, you turn into you get superpowers and turn into Magneto, which uh, sounds like a whole lot of fun to me. But apparently that's not true. So I'm really quite disappointed. But uh, but in general, the government here has used and this has been talked about quite a bit, is that the government generally uses uh, uses humorous means to combat disinformation and they're really quite good at it the question though is is are they reaching the right people and that's the difficult part for the government and for civil society groups that that battle disinformation it's not that they don't have good and funny memes they do uh it's not that they don't come out with correct information they generally do um and they do it, you know, in a timely fashion as well. So I'd say that, you know, all, on all those counts, the government and many of these civil groups are, are doing an excellent job. The problem is, is that a lot of the disinformation is being spread through private, mostly line groups. And these groups online are kind of impervious 
to uh, they're very hard to reach for these civil society groups and the government. And so when you send, you know, so they send out all this, you know, all this correct information, debunking, uh, debunking uh, rumors and myths. But it doesn't always permeate or penetrate into these line groups and uh, various pockets of the public. But overall, I think they've done a pretty good job of making sure that most of the public is pretty well covered with genuine information. And moving away from vaccines now, and the island conditionally partially reopened this Tuesday from the Level 3 coronavirus alert, and small group travel was once again allowed. Now, of course, the Tourism Bureau, though, is still advising people against lengthy long-distance trips, saying people should instead take only half-day trips. And while some members of the public cheered the move, despite the restrictions that are still in place, some travel agencies were rather unhappy still, arguing that the partial reopening and regulations will not do much to help out their coronavirus-affected businesses, with the Travel Agency Association saying that, well, the rules are unfathomable and travel agencies were not given enough notice to prepare. So, Brian, I mean, obviously, travel agencies can now take people on day trips or half-day trips around Taiwan, longer, in fact, if you want, but there are rules. But do you think this is this argument from the Taiwan Travel Agency Association was correct, that the rules are up, you can't understand the rules and the travel agencies were not given enough notice to prepare? Yeah, I think uh, part of it is just the rules are announced somewhat late in that the government is evaluating, can you open up, can you not open up, uh, looking at the changing situation. But then it's further confused by the fact that local governments sometimes will have different regulations. And so what has seen increasing splits on this? Uh, for example, local governments across all of Taiwan basically just refuse to allow for indoor dining after the 12th, uh, when some level two, three uh, measures were relaxed after uh, the 12th. On the 13th, they started allowing for indoor dining, but then the local government decided this was unsafe. And so uh, the local governments are also often looking to each other, see who acts first, and then nobody wants to be accused of being too lax on these measures to fight against COVID-19. And so then people jump on board, and it has this, this kind of a steamroller effect. And so so too with other businesses and which businesses are allowed to open. And so I think this is also the case with uh, travel groups. And so it's actually very hard to evaluate right now. I don't think it's all just the central government. I think it's also local governments, but it does make it very difficult to figure out um, what the regulations are. And, and this also does change depending on what happens, uh, depending on the political climate, etc. Um, there's also questions about whether just opening up these small groups will actually really be able to help the travel industry and in that they might not be large enough to actually bring in enough revenue to survive. And so you've seen closures, uh, a lot of uh, layoffs and companies affected. And the government does want to make it appear as though it is taking measures now to assist these, these companies getting back on their feet. But then is, will this actually help them? That's, that's another question entirely. Yeah, I mean, I, I, adding to what Brian said, I think everything there was correct. Um, it, it, I think the problem that, that you know, that, uh, to travel agencies and, uh, and frankly a lot of businesses and uh, people around the country is uh, they feel that this is somewhat uh, and somewhat arbitrary and part of that is as Brian noted but the the problem is you have the central government making a set one set of rules and then you have local governments making their own and you know each local government may be slightly different than the next the other problem is that when the CCC lays down these general these generalized rules, when it comes to practice, exactly how they're going to be implemented in practice, that gets really complicated and messy. You can't really, because there's so many different permutations of what people are doing, how they're traveling, how they're moving, how they're interacting. 
when the CCC lays down generalized rules, how does that apply to each individual circumstance? And from the people who are trying to deal with what comes down from the CCC, this appears arbitrary and difficult. So you can travel in groups of up to nine on a tour bus in an enclosed location, but you can't congregate. You can't congregate more than four people in indoors, but you can on a bus. Uh, you, you start seeing a lot of these little contradictions that start coming into into this where you you get rules that don't appear consistent and don't appear entirely logical in a lot of cases but the problem is is that if looking at it from the perspective of the CCC is that they can't come come out with detailed they have to come up with generalized rules because there's so many different situations, so many different possible permutations on how people act, behave, congregate, do things, support businesses, that they can't come out with a detailed manual. That would be, it would be, the, it would be an entire encyclopedia if they wanted to come out with a detail. And so they have to come out with generalized rules. And so when it comes down to actually determining what the rules are in individual circumstances, there's some inconsistencies which will produce frustrations. But I don't really see how the CECC can get around that. That's just sort of the part of you know that's uh, that's kind of the the nature of the game, and the CECC's judgment I think overall they've made some mistakes, but overall has been generally good. So, but again, we're going to see a lot of circumstances where there's a lot of frustration between one group of people who says, well, wait a minute, why are we still under level three, but my next door neighbor's business has effectively been uh, liberalized. They're under what appears to be more more like level two, but our circumstances and their circumstances are basically identical. And unfortunately, these contradictions are just going to happen. And of course, Brian, this weekend is a big test weekend because of course next week, the government have to decide whether they're going to basically on July the 26th, drop down to level two. And of course, if more people go away, more cases could be reported. That's right, and so it's a question. I think the other thing too is that uh, activity from this weekend will really only show up seven to 10 days later. And so the government is going to be evaluating right before the uh, deadline on the 26th whether to actually lift measures. And so that's also going to be a question. I think a lot of it will really come down to the wire. And so while the government's accused of uh, not announcing ahead of time, sometimes you actually do have to wait until very close to the deadline to announce that. And so I think uh, that's to be seen. Also, a lot will depend on the political willpower to maintain a lockdown at this point, I believe. I mean, do you think the government should have possibly said, OK, we're going to extend the lockdown level three or the level three, because it's not really a lockdown, the level three alert for three weeks this time so we can open out partially and then we can see after 10 days clearly what's happening? I think it's a question, too, because I think the government maybe would not have realised ahead of time that local governments would defy it uh, in terms of not actually relaxing things. And so it's, it's a question, too, because I think uh, the government has stressed that a lot of the measures are rolling uh, measures and they are subject to change. Um, I think the government also does have to account for how local governments will behave at this point in time in the sense that some governments may be unwilling to relax regulations or they may be too hasty to relax regulations. I think the tendency is usually to be uh, try to be more stringent than the government, saying that the government is not doing enough, that they're moving too quickly, uh, you should maintain measures. But at the same time, one has seen Koenig, for example, as the mayor of Taipei, the largest city, 
uh, urging to reopen. And so, for example, just a month ago, before all these outbreaks took place at TA, uh, TMC and the Lana Market, COVID was calling for a reopening. And so I think it's also very difficult to value in that sense. And so I think it's, uh, it's very hard to actually figure out what is the right policy now for the central government. <laughs> actually, Taipei is the fourth largest city. <laughs> um, um, <clears throat> I, I, frankly, I think that actually the two weeks probably make some sense. And, and, and Brian's right. The local governments tend to want to err on the side of caution. But uh, frankly, the thing is, the, the situation has been moving in the right direction for quite some time. And so they, but they haven't quite got it under control. We were not that long ago. We were averaging five, six hundred um, new cases a day, and now we're in the low double digits. And of those low double digits, for example, on Thursday there was only fourteen new cases, seven of which were already under quarantine. So that means that there were seven people out in the wild. Of those seven people, three were unknown cases. They didn't really know where where they came from. So we're looking now at relatively small numbers, but it's still not quite contained. So for them to use two weeks, I think that was quite a reasonable number because obviously when they set when they set that number, we'd already moved into the double digit range for I believe about a week when they made that decision. And now we've moved into two weeks at least, or over two weeks now that we've had um, double-digit numbers of new cases. And again, it's not completely under control, but it's really not completely out of control either. So I think that choosing two weeks was actually probably a, a good choice. Um, they, uh, but if the, if, the, if the government had really wanted to get some political advantage out of it, they should have kept the referendums uh, on the 28th and uh, extended the, uh, the, the level three lockdown beyond that date. And then that would have depressed turnout and then the DPP would have won. But they didn't do that. <laughs> they decided to move the referendums to December. But Chen Borwe, his recall vote is coming up on the 28th as far as... Uh, as far as I know, they haven't removed. They haven't moved that. I think they're the CC. Sorry, the um, CC, the Central Election Commission, will be meeting on that. Uh, I believe today or tomorrow to determine whether or not that vote's going to go ahead. And that's where we'll leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined today by Brian Hugh. Good night. And Donovan Smith in Taichung. And great to be here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favourite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.